The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to a Sunday night edition. We're going to talk about Saturdays and Sunday's games, the first round. Now officially in the books, we got to do our picks for the Eastern Conference and talk about another pretty darn good game seven let's start with that pacers and Cavs. lebron james just an unbelievable game only the second or i'm sorry this is the second time in his career that he's had 45 points in a game seven no one else of course has come close to that his final line 45 points made his first seven shots from the field finished 16 to 25 11 of 15 from the foul line seven assists four steals which were huge only four turnovers which despite that usage is actually a pretty low number and the cavaliers finally put up a big offensive game against this Pacers defense they take it 105 101 really was 105 98 until a meaningless Victor Oladipo three made a bunch of people some money and lost a bunch of people some money but uh how did LeBron James do it yet again with his 43 minutes tonight and it's incredible that he played 43 minutes because the time he was off the floor felt so significant and it was so significant in this game but I thought the most impressive part of his game was that first half in the first First half, LeBron, 11 of 16 from the field and 4 of 4 from the line, actually carried in a, I think it was like a 20 free throw streak, including part of this game and the previous couple. But also in that first half, part of how he helped feel it was the brutal efficiency of Cleveland's offense in that first half. I mean, they were up 54-43, I believe, at halftime. And why they were able to get that margin partially was because LeBron, like almost all of the rest of his teammates, had no turnovers. So not only were they just generating efficient offense but they were not turning the ball over so every possession was ending in a shot and they also got at the offensive glass as well and i think they outshot the pacers by 17 which basically the way i likened it on the show was if the pacers only got to play 16 minutes of the first half and the Cavs got to play 24 that's about what the shot distribution was like that's the what the pacers offense was trying to overcome they actually shot a better percentage than the Cavs, but uh trailed it was an extremely slow paced first half as well in part because of all the offensive rebounds in part because of the lack of turnovers and so it was only 40 possessions in that first half and the Pacers were totally unable to get out and run I think they had zero fast break points in the first half they actually finished with 14 they stormed back at one point even took a lead on a Bogdanovich three right near the start of the third quarter uh but then what won the game for Cleveland they outs 
uh they outscored the Cavs or geez they outscored the Pacers it's been a long weekend by eight points with LeBron on the bench with cramps in the end of the third start of the fourth quarter and that really ended up being the winning margin LeBron in this game he was actually negative two yeah thanks to the Oladipo three and it was a big game for redemption if you want to call it that way for different members of Cleveland's bench not the guys they acquired on on deadline day but a lot of other guys oh actually one of them was deadline guy so earlier in the game was Tristan Thompson I thought he was huge in the first quarter in particular helping set a defensive tone get some of those offensive rebounds to lead the possession game but then in the late third quarter early fourth it was George Hill who had missed the previous three games due to back spasms and Kevin Love who has been off basically this entire series maybe due to his thumb maybe just not playing super well could be some combination of those two and what Cleveland turned to when LeBron was not on the floor was side pick and rolls with Hill and Love two guys that are capable shooters and good decision makers and Indiana just couldn't handle it yeah and I'm sure that wasn't exactly at the top of their scouting report Cleveland's pick and roll play from anyone other than LeBron was useless in the series coming in George Hill didn't even look like he was going to play then when Indiana got back into it George Hill came in and I'm not sure what the thinking was of whether hey you know what? we're not going to play him we want him to see if he can sit the whole game see if we can win the game and then he'll be ready for the next series or whether it was just he's only got 20 minutes in him or whether it was just we don't know how effective he's going to be break glass in case of emergency whatever it was he came in he immediately had a huge effect Sabonis committed a terrible three-shot foul on him in the corner as he was going to shoot a fadeaway three off the dribble from the right corner Sabonis fouled him very clearly Sabonis had some pretty bad fouls in this game and then the side pick and roll it's so hard to deal with when you have a shooter like Love because there's just no way to get another guy over there so you can switch it they were worried though that it was Collison who would get switched on to Love and even though Love did nothing in the post he could probably that's an advantage matchup against Collison um I thought that maybe they could have gone to a different matchup uh, on George Hill although Joseph had been so effective on Clarkson I understand why they wanted to keep that maybe so they could switch that play they could have tried to keep George Hill out of the middle of the floor and then if Love popped back to the three-point line you bring another guy over and you know it's not like Cleveland had these other awesome guys on the floor but you know this all happened on the fly and they didn't really have a particular strategy to deal with that play and by that point it was over they were getting a bunch of offensive rebounds in that period as well I believe out hustling the Pacers and then the Pacers offense I thought was even the bigger problem during that period they had Collison off the floor for a little bit along with Oladipo Collison came back in but they didn't get in the ball and so they ended up with Corey Joseph trying to create off a switch Lance Stevenson trying to create off a switch and ended up not being able to score while LeBron was out with cramps and then when he came back in he really was trying to ease back into it you could tell uh but then he was able to do just enough down the end of the game uh to help keep the Cavs in front yeah it was a mix of different types of effectiveness for LeBron they actually kind of stuck a little bit with some of the hill and love stuff and then used LeBron as kind of a, a, a attention focus outside of that but then eventually he got into I referenced this on the Twitter NBA show it looked a little bit like what I imagine LeBron could be in like three to four years assuming he still wants to play of just a little bit slower and so he was more in the power game backing down back he once backed down Lance Stevenson from like a step inside the three-point line into the paint and I think he got a got a foul on that play and LeBron ended up for this is his whole game splits but i just think it's worth mentioning eight of 11 in the restricted area six of 11 from mid-range and two of three on threes but then you have to add on top of that 11 to 15 from the free throw line and early on when he was so unstoppable lebron pick and roll with tristan thompson thompson got going a little bit early and thompson really the only guy on this Cavs team that is setting a really good screen and he, he did that sometimes on the weak side opened up a three at one point for jr smith in the second half with that when they were switching 
he was able to get inside position setting the great screen roll to the rim lebron is going to find him on, on that play and then lebron just was hitting everything from long two-point ranges oh he's five of five on long twos in the first quarter which was huge as well uh indiana got back into it mid second quarter with the 12-2 run and then lebron went back to work four straight post-ups on lance stevenson he kicked it out to love for a three on a double dumped it to thompson for a dunk and a couple of times thompson was able to get a pass and Carlson was the weak side defender and just wasn't big enough or quick enough to get in front of that pass to thompson uh just went right by thad young once indiana switched young onto him and uh in less than two minutes it was back up to 12 and they looked pretty comfortable going into halftime uh until that 16 to 4 pacers run to start the quarter i thought victor oladipo i mean he was awesome in the second half he only had five points at halftime ended with 30 including the the garbage three at the end but he was great i thought he played well enough for the pacers to win in this one but it was really their defense to me that let them down the most uh in the second half in particular we should also mention i think we would both agree with this that the pacers got a little bit of a rough whistle there were a few you know more of the judgment calls that happened when against them a lot, lot of loose some will calls, use uh some of them of yeah the, of a dubious variety sure and and certain times that you would you would think they might let something go and then they called it and it certainly seemed like those calls went more against the pacers than against the Cavs. so that didn't help but they also got in their own way plenty i mean you mentioned the sabonis on george hill foul that was pretty egregious you know and, and a legitimate call of course and miles turner there's some discussion about his last foul but i thought that was the correct call jr smith kind of was clearing him out a little bit and then it looked to me like miles turner pretty much grabbed smith's arm and kind of threw him out of the way and when you make more of that kind of motion rather than a clear out it's a lot easier for a ref to make that call and sure that's a bad way to foul out but i think it was still the right call yeah, I thought that was the case. And then Sabonis, like most of his, were pretty rough fouls as well. Collison, you know, his last game in Cleveland was a nightmare. He was pretty good, 23 points, 9 of 13 from the field. He was getting to the basket pretty well. So he played well enough to win also. But Sabonis, 3 of 10, that was pretty rough. He missed some layups. Couldn't get his mid-ranger really going at all either. And Thaddeus Young, to me, made more mistakes defensively than he usually does. He had some chances around the rim as well he missed uh Bogdanovich was one of seven on threes he took some pretty bad ones in the first half and then finally the other problem for the Pacers was they trapped Victor Oladipo late and once again they just couldn't deal with that and I mean the biggest problem was like they'd trap Oladipo he'd back up a little bit to half court try to invite the trap and then no Pacer just prevented him a passing angle they were bringing uh, as they had done for much of the series another guy over to take the guy rolling to the basket from the wing and then whoever was on the wing whether it was Lance whether it was Boyan whether it was Collison just weren't stepping up to the wing to short the pick and roll give him a passing angle like it was just not good enough offense for the Pacers late and when they couldn't get out and run in the second half their offense really was not that awesome either um what else do you want to say on this one Anything I else? thought but well I, I thought Bogdanovich was the most significant culprit on yeah. some of those just not getting into the right place and I thought he has had a pretty good series overall but you have to make sure he, all those plays are together because the Pacers just didn't have enough of a margin. And I think one point, broader point on this series that I wanted to make sure to make is at some point during each of these games, and I think we did at least three of, or we did at least like five, maybe even six of the seven for the Twitter NBA show, all the games the Pacers lost, we said, oh man, they could have they could have gotten that one. And there's a reason for that. I believe all of them, all of their losses were with four points or fewer. And the Pacers actually ended up with the strongest point differential of a team to lose a seven game 
series, so one that goes all the way to seven in NBA history. They outscored the Cavs by 40 and lost, and so that means it is actually the second year in a row that the Pacers made history in the first round against the Cavs, because if those who remember a year ago, the Pacers set the record for the smallest point differential in a sweep when they lost to the Cavs yeah, in that four. that was only 16 points in that 4-0 loss to the Cavs. They also blew a 26-point lead in that one, which I think was the third largest comeback in NBA playoff history at the time. So Indiana will have much more on them soon. Their offseason will be an absolutely fascinating one. And the Cavs live to fight another day against the Toronto Raptors. And so why don't we talk a little bit about this series and then we can give our picks right after this from Hims. And Hims is a one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. For me, I use their services to prevent hair loss. I actually, since I was 25 and 38 now, I started losing my hair a little bit. I took what was then Propecia at the time. It was pretty expensive. It was like 50 bucks a month at the time. But I knew from the research that it's much easier to just keep the hair that you have than replace what you've lost. And now that Hims is available, it's much easier than having to actually go to the doctor and get a prescription. You can save hours by answering a few quick questions. A doctor reviews your prescription, will prescribe to you. It's far less expensive than it used to be to get medication for hair loss. They've got well-known generic equivalents to the name grand prescriptions. Propecia is now actually a generic. And it was a little awkward for me to, to talk about this when they came to me and I realized, hey, you know what? Like I told my friends all the time privately, hey, if you start losing your hair, you should do this. Like I've managed to keep it for the last 13 years. And so I might as well tell my listeners about this as well. I think it actually will be a good thing for you guys, even though it's slightly embarrassing for me to talk about, but it shouldn't be. So the way to get started with them is for hims, F-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash cap space is the URL. That's for hims.com slash cap space. When you get started with them, our listeners can get a trial month of everything you need to keep your hair for just $5 while supplies last. See their website for full details. Once again, go to for hims.com slash cap space. Use that URL slash cap space. Let them know that you came from us. So let's talk about this Cavs Raptors series now. The number one question, as it has always been, who will guard LeBron James? I think in OG and in OB, they have a better solution there than they have had in the past. Dwayne Casey has not been playing Ananobi a lot of minutes. He's been getting the Keith Bogans a lot, but I think he's really the only guy to me that has had a ton of success against LeBron. They've gone to Siakam. He has not necessarily cut it. Uh, and he's a decent option, probably better than anyone that the Pacers have to guard him one-on-one, although maybe not in a pick and roll. But I think Ananobi is just going to have to play a lot in this series and find a way to stay out of foul trouble. I mean, I think of all the players that have ever tried to guard Toronto or guard LeBron for Toronto, he's got the best chance of succeeding. And that's pretty impressive considering Ananobi's a rookie and they traded for P.J. Tucker last year, ostensibly for that purpose. But, you know, Tucker has his limitations in that specific matchup. I think he's done a wonderful job for the Rockets so far this year. And in many ways, this series feels like it's it's fighting history. And that is a challenge because both the Raptors and the Cavs are in certain ways different than they have been in prior years. This is, to me, and I would not have expected this before the season, the best iteration of the Raptors. You mentioned Ananobi, his success, also the energy that Toronto's bench plays with has been energizing, and that has largely carried over even into the playoffs where there is the general belief that, and it's belief because it's a truism, that benches matter a lot less, but Toronto has been able to use that. They went on a big run to clinch game yeah. six and clinch Although the series against the Wizards. That was once, it was only really once Van Vliet came back that that, that was able to happen. Yeah. Right, 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 right. Yeah, but that's what I, I consider him sure. a very important sure. part of the Raptors bench. Well, so, yeah. well, but it's, and it's we don't know exactly what his availability 
ability is yeah i mean with all these small guards lowry van vliet i mean we saw very little from the Cavs of success of using the small small pick and rolls try to get the switch onto lebron and uh, toronto has never really had much success guarding that at all are they going to be able to go with a closing lineup of van vliet and lowry together is that just too many small guys are they going to like the pacers who i thought defended the Cavs about as well as could be hoped going to be able to keep lebron out of those post-ups in advantage matchups so he's got to try and back down in his primary man and even just just making him use the energy to beat a larger defender as well i think it is important so toronto does have the home court in this one i think that will be big for them because they have really struggled playing in cleveland um i mean there's just so many interesting matchups because toronto was able to basically in the last series just play whoever they wanted right washington presents basically no matchup problem uh and cleveland presents a ton right if they're going to go with love again at center now how are you going to play valanchunas he's who is he going to guard the pacers got away with like miles turner guarding jr smith or something like that i you know for i don't know if valanchunas is going to be able to stay on the floor uh against if cleveland looks like cleveland right i mean that's that's the other thing too that i think people are forgetting here is cleveland looked like shit in this series but they didn't look like shit down the end of the regular season right like all those like people are treating like oh the fact that they struggle with the pacers like this team with lebron sucks like it was fait accompli that you know they're barely going to get out of this i saw the writing on the wall forever it's like no actually cleveland had the number one offense in the nba after the trade deadline and i found it very surprising they struggled as much as they did with the pacers love obviously it was a big part of that not having george hill clarkson and hood did nothing you know that was an issue too um you know all, all that was true and maybe that'll carry over to the next series maybe it won't i suspect that uh much like you know we saw we were overrating the pels or not me but a lot of people were overrating the pels coming out of that series against portland i think that the pacers were for whatever reason it didn't seem that much that way on paper a tough matchup for the Cavs, and so they've traditionally scored better against toronto i expect them to do that i expect this to be a series where it's a little bit of a shootout it has a lot of those elements but one thing i want to mention because i think this is going to be massive in the series toronto ended up for the full regular season having the number three offense however as has been a story with the raptors in the past that did not carry into crunch time the raptors were 17th in offensive rating during clutch situations 105-3 actually tied with the nuggets 17-18 and while they were 25 and 19 in those circumstances five points are closer within the last five minutes they had a negative 3.4 net rating and part of the reason that lebron had such a spectacular you know i think he had the year you and i but i believe both had him second in mvp is that the Cavs were a close game machine this year their defense was a little better than expected but a 120.9 offensive rating in clutch time lebron was spectacular and there are reasons to believe that cleveland's defense might not hold during that time especially with the personnel decisions they have to make but believing that the that if these games when these games are close late that the raptors are going to be able to stop lebron and everything else given the history and given what lebron can do and the spacing that cleveland can have in some of those lineups there just aren't many places to hide guys and there aren't many places to help from yeah i think that's right now the raptors offense was pretty good 112.5 offensive rating in the washington series washington is not a, a great defense by any means they're probably i'd say they're kind of about the same as the Cavs with a more engaged lebron defensively other big questions in this series though for cleveland how much is george hill going to give them you know back spasms can be a very nebulous 
nebulous thing where you can play then you're not able to play the next day or you get rest you know all that they're gonna have a relatively quick turnaround here with game one on tuesday in toronto and then tristan thompson you know, was exhumed in this game he was fantastic played down the end but he does make things a little bit easier to guard for toronto now, now you can get something out of maybe valanchunas that you couldn't unless thompson is playing but valanchunas can guard larry nance too so i th- it's interesting you know if they start love i would give very serious thought as casey to maybe switching up and then trying to get a lot of mileage out of their centers especially when they go with nance and green together or when they have thompson on the floor i think i don't think they're going to start love though i think they'll probably go back to tristan thompson now and thompson has traditionally hurt the raps but that's a real question of just who's going to be out there for cleveland we really just don't know necessarily the answer to that going to a love thompson front court to start the game also puts pressure on how cleveland manages the perimeter rotation kyle corver has value as an open shot shooter but in this series do they want to put lebron on like DeRozan or something like that so actually that might lead into some some worthwhile matchups for cleveland a lot of complications here in something that concerned me about cleveland theoretically facing the warriors of the rockets which is they don't have a lot of great defenders for a team whose two best players offensively are their one and two they have other guys you know they can they they can muck up the lane they can do all those sorts of things though you can guard him with a bigger player like jeff green i think derozan has a pretty big advantage on jr with his size that that's probably will be the matchup to start um but you know i i don't think like derozan is not traditionally just killed cleveland to my recollection yeah i don't i don't have a, a specific memory either way but it w- and i don't think lebron's going to be on derozan that much you know maybe later in games if they really want to yeah. that's that hasn't really been what cleveland has done this well, year well another thing too is cleveland is going to go with the traps again they had success against the raptors with that forcing serge ibaka to make decisions valanchunas is not a guy you can really throw it to at the arc and then have him drive in as easily as maybe like a sabonis uh they don't have ibaka is a pick and pop guy but you can bring another guy over to him and then is he going to be able to make the next pass not really sure about that ibaka was awesome in the first two games against the wizards really did nothing offensively in the last four games was he going to be out there later they're going to go with siakam will they try ibaka at center where does Pirtle fit into to the rotation at center he's a little bit more mobile uh, but also very foul prone you know, that's who wins the free throw line battle will be an enormous part of this series if cleveland is getting the line more than the raps who get to the line a lot themselves that's not a good sign for toronto so i think we're probably ready for our picks here uh it is your turn to go first I see a better case for the Raptors winning this series than I have in any of the prior iterations of Cavs-Raptors, but I still don't think it's more likely than not that Toronto wins this series. And what's different this time, with Cleveland a little bit uncertain and Cleveland not having home court, in that sort of a circumstance, the easy call is, if you think the road team is the lower seed is going to win the series, is that team in six. And I think that's the reasonable call here. So I'm going to say Cavs in six. That will be my pick as well. And Cleveland traditionally... I mean, now LeBron had to play a billion minutes in this series and George Hill is, is nicked up. Love is nicked up. It, that, that's certainly a concern. But Cleveland traditionally has gotten better as the Eastern Conference playoffs have gone along. I mean, even the last two years, you'll remember that they struggled a little bit with Detroit. They did sweep them, but there were some close games there. They swept the Pacers. There were some close games there. Uh, and then all of a sudden they came out in the second round and just completely trucked the Raptors in games one and two. Ended up sweeping them. Obviously, Lowry missed the, the last two games of that series, but they were well on their way to getting blown out in those first two so there is a chance here for toronto with the first two at home to go up 2-0 and then this series changes a lot but there's also that raps game one fear i don't want to completely forget about that 
just they exercise the demons a little bit against washington let's turn now to the milwaukee boston game seven boston absolutely lit up the celtics it, although milwaukee led 15 to 13 their defense had been really good through about the first eight minutes of the fourth quarter and then they brought in tyler zeller and to a lesser extent del vadova and it was a 15 to 2 boston run milwaukee was one of five with three turnovers during that period zeller was directly involved in i think 10 of those 15 points in pick and roll getting switched on to guys getting driven past and there was just no reason for him to be in in a game seven just should have been thon and Giannis at center until one of them got into foul trouble and Giannis eventually did get into foul trouble but they didn't know that at the time and milwaukee was fouling the crap out of boston and uh by that point boston had a 30 to 17 lead going into the second quarter milwaukee did manage to get back into contact later uh had a three in the air from brogdon mid third quarter that could have tied it that went off uh and then boston basically instantly got it back to a 10 point lead and then in the fourth quarter just started embarrassing this bucks defense as joe prunty went to some very curious lineup combinations yeah that's a polite word for it they so Zeller, I believe, did not play in the second half, but Shabazz Muhammad did. Jason Terry played a lot in the second minutes. half. And he, he hadn't been playing at all, and he played 20 minutes. And, and they were using those guys a lot in conjunction with Jabari Parker, and there are just too many places to attack. And Boston, with this configuration of talent, this would not be remotely true if Ky- even if just Kyrie was healthy. You can just stay solid and force their guys to beat you one-on-one, and generally speaking, you'll do a pretty good job. They'll still score some, you know, different guys and that was even more true when Jalen Brown was unavailable for the second half due to his hamstring issue so okay you're relying on you know they they ended up starting Marcus Smart in his place Smart has certain capabilities offensively but also has some really negative habits and the Bucks were just they were attacking in the wrong places they were putting out that talent and it just never made sense. It's not like these were talented players who had been off their game or they were just a great fit for that circumstance. Maybe in a way like Cleveland support players who ended up stepping up in game seven. These are just guys that aren't particularly good at basketball that didn't have a, a much better case than Tony Snell, who only played three goddamn minutes in this game. I swear, like Prunty, his memory is like three possessions long. Oh, Tony Snell, you missed one shot. You kind of like turned it over along the baseline. Oh, it doesn't matter if, you know, you played really good defense in this series and you're tough to beat one-on-one ah just gonna take you out of the game and throw in jason terry and then you know they happened terry hit like one three they happened to get back into the game a little bit when he was around oh well it must be jason terry doing something like it's it's like not even noticing if there's something that he is and so that gave them a place to attack the other thing that was killing me was a lack of switching defensively they had thon playing conventional pick and roll defense and oh by the way al horford was part of them just completely killing them on the kick and pick and roll Horford 26 points 13 of 17 from the field he was getting alley-oop dunks he was getting pick and pop threes he was going right down the lane driving past guys to his right hand which uh Thon played better in this game uh than any of their other options he was actually plus eight amazingly uh and only had one foul too I mean the fact for him to only play 25 minutes was just completely insane yeah 
He played fewer minutes than in some of the games where he came off the bench and played well. Like, and it's not like he wasn't playing well. He hit a three. Uh, but th- when he was out there, a lot of times they had him playing conventional pick and roll defense, which, you know, it was right back to the old Bucks get up to the level of the screen. And yeah, Boston knows how to beat that, guys. Like, it's a Brad Stevens coach team. And just giving up a 119 offensive rating. And, and it's not like Boston even shot particularly well on threes. They were nine out of 26 on threes. And they were 13 to 21 for the free throw line. And so they gave up 62 two percent on two pointers to the boston celtics they hit a few tough shots you know marcus morris was hitting some when he was contested uh jason tatum hit some of the way what didn't have an unbelievable game he was only seven out of 17 but it was really horford and then rozier who was five of eight from three he had 26 points and a lot of that was in the second half and a lot of that was drew bledsoe who they showed on on the jumbotron uh he played like drew bledsoe in this game the decision making of drew bledsoe you might say eric bledsoe just his help really helped in game six but where he was just helping off whoever he was guarding they really would i think been better served to just put him onto marcus smart and then that those help tendencies really help and then it's marcus smart taking that three because rosier has become a very good spot up shooter and so you know bloodso was helping off the strong side corner he was helping on pick and rolls rosier would just take three steps to his left and just be wide open and just tons of over helping just losing rosier for no reason even when he wasn't actively helping and that's how rosier got to the uh, those 26 points in large part nine assists as well for Rozier, that's got to be like close to a career high it was also it happens so often strangely an inconsistent game for eric bledsoe especially defensively he makes certain like a couple of his he had one steal but he had a couple deflections that are just these incredible plays that most other guys can't make it's sort of like harden where sometimes he's good at dealing with being in bad position but other times he just completely lost rosier yeah. lost shane larkin and they're getting and the celtics are getting much better looks than you would anticipate with bledsoe just because of we remember the physical beast that he was early in his career and he still has a lot of that in yeah. him it's just that the i think it was the mental edge that bledsoe just lost more often than he yeah, should and as much as we we're actually killing bledsoe he was uh plus three at 23 points nine to 12 from the field uh just he didn't play with tyler yeah, Zeller. no i mean that and, that and that was a big part of it right like jabari was negative 24 del vadova was negative 21 zeller was negative 13 snell was negative 11 in those those three minutes although i didn't think it was necessarily his fault i think it, it was more you know he, he had one bad turnover and one missed three that was basically it uh but yeah del vadova he played well in those first two games in milwaukee but boston really did a great job taking advantage of his weaknesses just pressuring up pressuring up he's so slow that he if you have the right pressure on him he like can't even get into the offense sometimes and so he had some pretty ugly turnovers as well but it was just ripe for milwaukee to go with some switching lineups i don't think they did that at all in this game and they just had so many defensive breakdowns out there that uh, again it was all mostly system type buckets for the Celtics although they, they played pretty well Giannis did not have his best game in the world he was seven out of 17 uh did have five fouls they played him a lot at center in, in the second half Middleton was unbelievable again he had 32 points um you know anyone who wasn't Marcus Smart he was cooking I mean I thought that other than that one stretch in the first quarter the Bucks played well enough to win offensively uh but that stretch and then their total lack of defense was uh enough to sink them and so they will go into the offseason seems very unlikely that joe prunty will be retained mike budenholzer is available he would be my number one choice if i were the milwaukee buck though i'm sure they'll look at david fisdale also but i mean there's so much talent on this team and i mean especially going to a switching scheme like bledsoe right like he's the beauty of a switching scheme is if you have defenders who aren't like incredibly intelligent you can still get good performance out of them when it's just hey switch and guard the guy in front of you mostly right uh so that's what i'd like to see from them now boston goes into the next 
series Jalen Brown with that hamstring he was it was said that he was available to return it never got close enough that he needed to I think that would have been a mistake anyway and and much like Ricky Rubio Brown is being called doubtful for game one I would expect that he's going to miss game one at least Uh, maybe if they lose game one they might bring him back for game two but I mean the hamstrings calves like those muscle pulls aren't the type of thing where it's like okay you can gut it out because you can just so easily re-injure it again and I assume that we will see more cogent defensive schemes from the Sixers which means Boston is going to need all of the shot creation that they can handle and Jason Tatum had a a pretty solid game seven seven to 17 from the field did a nice job creating some of the layups and and I, I enjoyed some of his defensive possession too. Also, had I think it was two really nice passes. I, I liked Tatum's game overall. But if it's Rozier and Tatum and Horford, especially without much spacing around those guys, this could get dark. I would say pretty quickly. But I have a lot of respect for Stevens and what the Celtics have done. Yeah, and if Smart is out there, they're going to be a lot easier to defend as well. I mean, there's some fascinating matchups in this series. I think a lot of the hope has to come that Al Horford can pull Joel Embiid away from the rim. I, I suspect that Stevens will probably start with Aaron Baines I don't think that the offensive rebounding for the Celtics is really going to be effective in this series with Simmons out there Sharich and beat I mean there's just there's so much size on the floor for the Sixers team maybe they can attack a little bit you know do stuff like Tatum in the post or Braun in the post when he returns but I think the Sixers are not going to just give up a bunch of system bucket they're not going to get scored on at the rim the Celtics will not be shooting 62.1 percent from two-point range in games in this series and so I think it's gonna have to be a lot of Horford maybe trying to draw and beat out I don't think that's gonna work that well and beat has pretty good mobility and then if Boston can't get to the rim I think it's just gonna be a lot of long twos it's Philly does it in a little bit different of a way you know with size with positioning more than just that frenetic activity from the Bucks but we saw even when the Bucks stayed solid and they didn't have you know a Joel Embiid behind them backing them up and the Sixers team just makes so many fewer mistakes than the Bucks do I mean, I think Boston is really going to struggle to score. To me, this series is going to be one and lost. Like, like that one, that is a given, right? I think the Celtics are going to be, you know, if they can get above a point per possession in the series, I think they'll be doing pretty well, frankly. I think the series is going to be one and lost when Philly has the ball. If Boston can stop them, if they can keep them out of transition, another great transition team, if they can turn Philly over and then, you know, maybe get some of their own transition against Philly, that's going to be so key as well. That's going to be it for me. Do you think they can stop the Sixers? This is a strange mirror series for the Sixers off of Miami two teams that are well coached that execute well but succeed in different ways the Boston doesn't attack and force you out of your game defensively the same way that Miami does but Boston I think they have a little bit more core competence on offense and that could help Boston get some of those some of those baskets Jalen Brown does loom large in the series for the same reasons I mentioned before the absence of Jalen Brown for however long that is one other point I wanted to make on that because I forgot this earlier is Boston should be considering the long game here and that pushing Jalen Brown to come to come back at some point in the series whenever that is is you don't want to risk him losing somewhere all of this offseason because young players that's a great time to work on their game Jalen Brown has a ton of physical potential a lot that he can do and I don't expect this is Celtics to win the series I don't think that's a bold take and they might have a better chance just because the the east is looking a little bit weaker you could argue other than the Sixers than in some other years but don't push it for this make sure that he's right for the summer make sure that he can get better you know develop more off the dribble game maybe get even more reliable on his jump shot and focus on next year don't push him for this series 
I do think that Boston can defend Philly pretty well. Uh, and I agree with all that you said about Braun, by the way. Uh, Smart, if they want to put him on Redick, he will erase Redick from the, uh, I think, or, or if it's Bellinelli. I think Smart's an okay option uh, on Ben Simmons, trying to make him work full court. Uh, th- but they've also got Marcus Morris, who has good size. If they're going with Baines at center, they could even put Horford, uh, who just guarded Giannis. I mean, Giannis and Simmons are very similar matchups in a lot of ways, guys, with weak jump shots. Simmons' jumper is even weaker than Giannis is. He's faster in transition, I think, than Giannis is, but you know, not as good as, of a finisher. And so I think putting some size on him, it could be an interesting strategy. And especially if you've got Horford on Simmons, then you can switch anything that's Simmons and Embiid. In the post, you know, Baines is a pretty strong post defender. Embiid, is he able to get back into shape now? You know, you expect him to be pretty close to 100% after the time off that he's had. Is he going to be able to be effective in the post? He's got a huge size advantage on Horford. If Boston has to double, that's going to be a, a big problem. Baines, they may not have to double. Will Greg Monroe surface again in this series? He had one good game against the Bucs, but was largely invisible other than that. But that was a smaller series than this one projects to be. So I, I think like Embiid, is he going to try to face the basket and you know drive by guys and have people dig down? You know, Marcus Smart's going to steal it from him from the wing if he tries to put it on the floor. Or is he going to get deep post position, use his size advantage in the post? That's going to be big. Um, Bellinelli was huge in the Miami series. I think Boston has the personnel to really kind of erase him as well. Uh, Ojale is probably going to get some time on Simmons too. So I I, th- I think that Philly could struggle to score in this series. I think this series is going to be a difficult one for them, but a good one for them to, to see what real defense in the playoffs is like. They did a r- nice job scoring on Miami, I thought, but Boston has more versatile size than Miami does defensively. And then Miami didn't really have a center who was going to cause problems for them defensively, whereas Horford, what I think even Baines is a better defensive center than anyone that Miami had so and Miami kind of had these one-way players and Boston has some one-way players too but they're all on defense uh so I think this the games in this series are going to be close I just don't think that when push comes to shove Boston is going to be able to score quite enough against this team and so my pick will be the Philadelphia 76ers in six games I was feeling much stronger about Philly in six before the news about Jalen Brown came out because I think that really could hurt Boston's offense but for me it's that that may so before I was like, you know, solidly on Philly and six, then I'm like, ah, oh, it could be five. But I'm going to give respect to the Celtics execution, to other guys stepping up, to Brad Stevens, and I'm still going to go with Philly. Yeah, and, six. and Boston, their home court advantage has proven to be a big weapon. And, you know, if it were Philly had home court, I probably would go with five or even a sweep. But, uh, and Philly, obviously, they got to get one of the first two games or it'll look a, a little bit ugly, perhaps. But they just have so much more talent and they're not going to blow it <laughs> the way that the, that the Bucks did. So that, that's why i see it that way so it's interesting that we we are not only both in agreement on these series but we're both picking the ostensible underdog to win um we'll talk a little jazz rockets and pels warriors right after this but first we introduced this charity on our friday night episode but danny and i've been looking for ways to give back to our community and danny told me about this charity team rubicon that deploys veterans to disaster areas and i couldn't think of a more worthy cause than that it's not political in any way i think it will appeal to all of our listeners and they do a great job in terms of actually deploying their dollars at the site over 80 percent of, of the dollars that are donated go directly to the site that obviously any charity is going to have some administrative costs but that as i understand it is a very good number what was it that attracted you so much to, to them in the beginning day i know you've been donating to them since 2012 in the beginning it was the idea i thought was 
really novel and military veterans have this unique set of skills that they develop during their time in the, in the armed services and it just fits naturally with disaster response and so I, I'm like oh that's a really cool idea and it can help get them give them a purpose once they get back stateside if they were if they were abroad and weave them into the community or if they're going to travel and as you said the idea that disaster affects everybody and I've loved the way that they've handled it since I since I was a donor in various different big ones Hurricane Sandy they did a ton of great work with that even though it was still a smaller organization then than it is now they logged more than 36,000 hours doing during work for Hurricane Sandy this has been a rough year for natural disasters of the last 12 months let's say Hurricane Maria Hurricane Harvey everything on the you know the east coast and and Puerto Rico Texas and I like that this idea can just be applied moving forward because sadly enough there will always be disasters and there are military veterans coming back all the time that can use this as a way to you know to to put their services to good use to help people's lives yeah and if you wanted to learn more about them to donate or perhaps volunteer as well team rubicon usa.org slash cap space is the url easy to remember slash cap space of course because we talk about it all the time on the program team rubicon usa.org slash cap space or you can text the word cap space to the five digit number eight seven eight seven two that's cap space to eight seven eight seven two to make a donation or just to get a sense of what they're doing and their operation we really hope that uh you can join us in supporting this charity as part of uh, the dunk down community so let's move now to this absolute blowout by the houston rockets they led it 64 39 at halftime and when the rockets are going to go 17 of 32 from three-point range and chris paul and james harden are going to combine for 10 three-pointers nine of which were just straight iso off the dribble three-pointers the jazz are just not going to win games in this series i think they were 10 out of 16 in the first half the rockets were and and so that that was a big part of it i mean i I think the jazz actually overall in this game defended close to well enough to to where they need to be i thought rudy gobert really looked tired He, he was not able to have the effect they were not able to defend the pick and roll two on two very well capella got got loose for 16 points a lot of those were in the first half as well he was also getting on the offensive glass which was a problem but the pick and roll was not great but they forced houston into a fair number of difficult threes only 32 threes that's a very low number for houston then 24 free throws that's not killing you uh, the overall shot chart i mean they only shot 40 percent on twos you know that's a pretty good number if you're utah but then there's also the other end of the floor danny yeah i mean so the jazz one point per possession basically straight up and we just talked about how that would be good for the celtics that's not good enough when you're playing the houston rockets because the rockets are an offensive dynamo and donovan mitchell his overall stat line wasn't super impressive i mean 21 points on 22 shots and only got to the free throw line twice but something that i i really did love from him we've talked about this a lot on the twitter and show as well his finishing was great it was just that he couldn't hit a shot anywhere else so he was eight of nine in the restricted area some beautiful finishes over around capella nene all of that but then he was only one for the entire rest of the field which was i believe one for 14 yeah and you know one for 13 and that's just you know he has to make a couple more of those shots that would help and jay crowder was five for seven from three himself but i I mean the bigger point that i kind of wanted to talk about with you was this idea and this will come up in the second series we're going to talk about too in the western conferences Derek favors was huge for the jazz in the series win against okc especially that game where he crashed the offensive glass got those eight offensive rebounds but he looked really out of place here and the jazz were not able to create many advantages with him and then 
then the Rockets were able to exploit Favors' limitations pretty aggressively. Yeah, that was helped by the fact that Tucker and Ariza combined to go five of nine from three-point range. I think the Jazz are going to just have to live with their three-point shooting to some degree, especially if you can make Tucker shoot from above the break, which they largely weren't able to do in this game. And I think the Jazz will continue to get their rhythm. You know, they dialed up a few things offensively, especially in the second half, where they actually, you know, out Houston not trying as hard when you have a 25-point lead at halftime. But they actually scored pretty well in the second half. They managed 57 points. That's pretty good. You know, they had some actions where, for example, Favors would try and slip the pick early, or they would have Joe Ingles come over, pretend to screen for Mitchell, slip the pick quickly, and then Mitchell could attack right away because the guy who was guarding him was expecting a pick and wasn't expecting him to just explode to the basket quickly. You know, there's little things that and you can get more into a rhythm doing those in this series. Houston has a lot of defensive talent, and Bob Mute played 21 minutes. He's only one out of five. It hit it one out of two from three. He tried to drive a couple of times into favors and Gobert. That didn't go particularly well for him. But Ryan Anderson only played nine minutes. And so they really are not the weak links defensively for the Rockets anymore. And there's no one really to attack except James Harden. And the couple of times in the first half that Mitchell was able to get Harden onto him in the late clock, because when they're switching, you're always going to have some possessions where you're just going to have to ISO at the end. And the default every time should be James Harden's man come up, set a screen, and now Donovan Mitchell, we're going to go at you from the outside. And and hopefully that's something that the Jazz will see on film because Harden, uh, he's a good post defender, but he's not going to be effective against Donovan Mitchell. He's not going to be able to keep him out of the paint, and especially if the Jazz go with a space floor. They got a really good game from Jay Crowder with 21 points, 5-7-3. That is one small advantage is you have a little bit more spacing when Mitchell is starting at point guard unless they're playing Royce O'Neal, who, who I thought did an okay job on Harden but and had four steals, but is not a good enough shooter, I think, against this Rockets team. They're really going to make him make shots. Uh, but that's what I would be trying to dial up more. I mean, more of those plays designed to beat the switch. And then when you can't get that, get the ISO against the right guy, because there really are no other right guys other than Harden if they're if it's Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, we're in agreement there. I, I, I think that this series will depend a little bit on those adjustments. But really, I think what that does is it gets Utah closer to even. I don't think it necessarily gives them an advantage. That's part of the reason why I picked the Rockets in five games. And I certainly believe that Utah can win a couple games in this series. Oh. But not only now do they have to win four out of six. Did you want to make your point about but, favors real quick too? Because I, I realized that that I kind of transitioned away from that, but he he really didn't have a great defense game either. Right, and that's what I was getting at is that they can attack him on switches and favor. You know, Harden I thought roasted him a couple different times, and favors just can't really get into a, a, an equilibrium, a balance there. And maybe over the course of the series he can get better. But then the other part of that, the the duality is he's not really creating many advantages offensively because he helps Houston shrink the floor a little bit on that end. So he's exploitable on one end not creating much of an advantage on the other and maybe they do a pivot kind of like in the okc series where he just attacks the glass more aggressively and they deal with what yeah what may Th- happen that's in transition. one thing where they really need to do more because especially when gobert and favors are on the floor houston doesn't really run very much and yeah oh i, I want to give yeah. that stat i don't know if you know that i pulled this so houston played in the half court on 90.7 percent of their possessions that is the zeroth percentile that, that's of in this transition game. basically transition in this game and he but generally speaking houston doesn't run that much either i mean if the opportunity presents itself and they have an outlet pass or something like that certainly they'll do it but pushing the ball you know and that with that sort of intensity is not really what harden and chris paul want no, to do it isn't and i think especially because they're going to be switching if you can get clint capella on the outside or nene on the outside gobert and favors i think really can get some offensive rebounds 
Suns. It's just that's not what Quinn Snyder does. He comes from the Spurs system, the prizing getting back amongst all else. And I think there's a misperception that Houston really wants to run. And, you know, because especially this is the other thing too, Danny, right? Like if they're cooking you so badly in the half court, maybe there isn't as much of a imperative to keep them out of transition because you're getting scored on anyway. So you might as well boost your own offense by hitting the offensive glass. For reference, Houston's half court offense was as efficient as Utah's overall offense in this game. And remember Utah scored, was it 57 points in the second yeah. half? Yeah. So, I mean, we've seen Utah kind of get into these series. I think that they, as a young team that has doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, Snyder can start to find things as well as we go on. I mean, they looked much better just in terms of their scheme attacking the Rockets switching than say the Wolves did. You know, they had some better ideas, especially once they started getting into it. Snyder had an interesting quote on the mic'd up broadcast during the game of saying, hey, you know what? Like, we're going to figure it out on the floor. We're not going to figure it out in the huddle. Like, you're going to learn every possession of what it's like to go up against this team. And, and you mentioned Favors. I think he could be better as a switch defender than he was in this game. And in particular, I thought that his approach against Paul was not good. I think three three-pointers, it might have been all three-pointers, three three-pointers that Paul hit were plays where Favors just didn't get up on him enough. And Paul in particular, like, he really wants to walk into a three or kind of lull you to sleep and just shoot it over your head without even dribbling when he gets the ball so I, I think especially with Harden off the floor forcing Chris Paul to put it on the deck drive into the lanes get a finish over a contest from behind force him out they did force Paul into seven turnovers although I think most of those were in the second half which I, I will freely admit I did not watch that closely uh but I think that you know that's got to be the strategy a little bit more in these isos is to try to run these guys off the line and, and it's worth noting too it's not like Utah is switching everything right like but Harden and Paul are so good and so crafty in pick and roll that they snake back to the middle of the floor they force the big to guard them not even necessarily intending to go at them and then because they've engaged the big the other guy has to switch back or it's going to be a dunk for Capella and now they can just saunter back out to the three-point line and go at the guy off the switch so Utah's this isn't like oh hey our plan is we're going to switch Rudy Gobert onto James Harden it's just you get stuck doing that and you know, I think they still Utah's got to not lose hope on helping off of guys like Mbaba Mute and Tucker and Ariza and just trust that James Harden and Chris Paul aren't going to go 10 for 18 on off the dribble contested three-pointers again and they're not going to do that every game this series they might do it four games in the series and if that's the case then the Houston Rockets are a really good team and, and you're in trouble um but uh, yeah go ahead oh something else something else I want to keep an eye on he ended up staying in the game but Donovan Mitchell not only turned his ankle yeah. late in this one but he turned his ankle and Eric Gordon stepped on it at the same time I didn't see any malicious intent there it just happened you know Gordon was trying to close out on I think it was a, a fast break and Mitchell stayed in the game but that sort of thing can end up going later and it reminded me of how quickly the Donovan Mitchell foot issue which I think it was questionable for game two of that series how quickly the discussion of that went away and how great he played in that first round series yeah and that was a contusion which is a little bit easier to get over uh when it's just kind of sure. like a bruise Royce Young also had a good point which isn't necessarily that applicable in this series but he said that Harden's and I still don't think Harden's floater game is that great I think you live with a Harden floater but Harden's ability to take a floater and draw Gobert away to open up a passing angle to Capella and he had some beautiful assists to Capella in this game his ability to do that is so different than Westbrook who has zero floater game whatsoever right Westbrook he's got to either pull up from the mid-range or he's got to go all the way to the rim I, I can't remember the last time I saw him shoot a floater he just doesn't have that shot and so that, that's something he should probably think about uh, trying to add to his game but uh you know Westbrook is not known for his touch necessarily um all right let's talk Pell's Warriors I mean the, the number one thing to think about here 
is just remember how we were saying all season that the west was basically two teams then all these other teams scraping below them and you know this is entertaining but you know it's the warriors and and the rockets and then oh steph curry got injured so maybe the warriors will have trouble but they'll still probably advance and now it's just looking like oh yeah the rockets and the warriors are just light years ahead of the entire rest of the conference and uh for those of us who picked that series in five games uh you saw why here the pels just i mean despite the fact that the pels played really poorly we'll get to that but it seems abundantly clear that they just don't have the depth and the personnel and the size outside of davis and miritich you know just at all the other positions they're just real small to really deal with the warriors this game reminded me a lot of spurs warriors game one where it is unfair to say that the team that got their butts kicked will be that bad moving forward and they were the the pels did certainly shit in this game just like just like the spurs did in that in that game one exactly and the pelicans did get some i wouldn't necessarily even say it was a rough whistle i would say it was just it was it was a tightly officiated game and that ended up benefiting the warriors which it usually does not there were a couple on holiday in the first that i thought were uh yeah i didn't have any issue off the top of my head with any of each one mores though and that that would end up being the bigger absence because they didn't keep each one more in the game with his foul trouble and they did keep some of the other guys in but the other part of that warrior spurs game one that was a part of this one as well is some of the fundamental parts of why that game was such a blowout those aren't going away so even if the pelicans play better and i fully believe that they will what the warriors had was the right approach for how to handle the pelicans especially offensively basically treating anthony davis like a superstar and everybody else in their team as being you know salvageable being you can deal with everybody else and making sure every shot is hard for anthony davis team rebounding which i think was an important part of this game the warriors are an inconsistent defensive rebounding team especially with draymond at center which is but but the pels don't even try to go to the offense glass either you know that's part of this right that's true it is and so the other just big dynamic which i do not think will hold for the rest of the series but is important to mention is that the warriors were able to get away with generally not having draymond as the primary defender on anthony davis kavon looney did a nice job overall and then they ended up bringing so many doubles that it didn't really matter who'd started on him there were some possessions where iguodala ended up on davis because somebody else was coming they were getting the ball out of davis's hands forcing him into a shot and nobody else on the pelicans other than Moore, who was really hot in the first half was able to make them pay yeah that was a big part of it i think another structural limitation was rajon rondo right i mean and once they they it was a surprise start for nick young steph curry didn't play he's supposed to return with a, a minutes limit in game two unclear whether he's going to start or not yet but once they started draymond at center which i liked from kerr i like that he is like not fucking around this postseason i think part of the reason he's doing that is to engage his guys you know so particularly draymond particularly iguodala as well by starting him and by playing draymond at center they didn't want to just mess around by playing a a javel mcgee at center make it difficult on davis and then looney came in you know he was really he and west were the only traditional centers who played and looney did a decent enough job on ad i think that the pels can do a better job of forcing looney to beat them offensively which they didn't um you know we can talk more about the pels defense but then the matchup became draymond guarding rondo and you know rondo can hit some threes he's actually shot you know 36 percent this year but and there was one hilarious moment in the second half where rondo was wide open from three and the crowd just started cheering exhorting him to take it which was really funny uh and he ended up missing that one he hit another one i think but draymond is so good as a help guy that as soon as the post player turns his back he's just gonna sprint down there off of rondo he materializes out of nowhere he caused a ton of problems for ad he had a strip on miritich when he helped off a of rondo and 
Miritich had a much smaller player on him Miritich can actually score in the post when he's unfettered by a double team and so the word I thought Iguodala was another guy who just was great sprinting the floor in both directions he's had a renaissance here in the playoffs and so let me give you the Pels shot chart through three I thought really the Pels offense was the larger problem in this game because we thought they were going to be able to score and they couldn't and they just you know with all the switching they weren't able to get AD type of plays that they had you know when he was putting up 47 points in game four against the the Blazers against conventional pick and roll defense Pels were 18 out of 23 at the rim this is through three quarters while the game was actually being peated by the starters 18 to 23 at the rim that's not bad you know that's a decent number and, and, and a good percentage but they were also one of 15 from floater range they could shoot a little bit better on that they have some good floater shooters holiday more like those guys that were definitely off but you could tell that they really were bothered by the length of the Warriors on those plays as well they're very they're rushing them a little bit and then seven out of 21 on twos outside the paint so this is bad twos eight out of 35 and they're forced into 35 twos outside the restricted area and then they only got up 16 three-point attempts during that period and they're only four out of 16 from three uh and they weren't really getting they had some open shots for sure you know i thought holiday who was being guarded by kd most of the time that using more screens on kd could be useful because he's really bad at getting through screens some off ball stuff for holiday holiday went back to earth with four or 14 he's gonna play better he missed some shots on floaters around the rim that i think he's he's gonna make it uh he can shoot it better from three but the problem of rondo is not going away and then the problem of ian clark danny and the coaching revenge game uh, is not going away on the defensive end yeah i mean i made a a point in my preview of the series for the athletic of talking about how sean livingston was lined up for a really good series because he was going to be lined up with former teammate ian clark and ian clark can do absolutely nothing on sean livingston well he could foul he fouled yeah he could foul did that a couple times and clark just he doesn't have a place really i mean what he could do is he could take up a shot but he's their seventh man he has to play who like like, i know i mean it's a big problem between you know they've got solomon hill ian clark darius miller you know i mean and and we're not even talking about who's going to guard kd if it's on a switch or clay if it's on a switch livingston you mentioned i mean those three guys just have such height advantage of whoever's guarding them in this series most of the way well yeah i mean kevin durant was basically ball racking the entire pelicans perimeter rotation holiday had no success i thought Miritich actually wasn't bad on kd that's something they can take a little bit of heart i was surprised but but now with curry being back i mean you've got even more problems and and kd uh you know they're not gonna be able to load to kd at all really we probably didn't talk enough about draymond's game either he had a triple double oh he was spectacular warriors are undefeated when draymond has a triple double four offensive rebounds for him he was able to get into the post a little bit on rondo too who is a a miserable post defender rondo did do his matador poke it away from behind once but he's not going to be physical enough uh 11 assists 15 rebounds overall even one of two from three uh just one of the best games that draymond has played in his career i would say uh and he was plus 28 in the first three quarters he was great yeah he had that got that triple double with like 720 to go in the third quarter and he was everywhere defensively the putting him on rondo as one of the alignments really unlocked so much steals and two blocks too by the way was filthy and also i thought kevin durant did a better job defensive rebounding than usual some of that might also be as you said the the pelicans not not really pressing on that end but the warriors are making that effort and i think part of that is also setting up a potential series against the rockets but another area and the pelicans will be in transition defense less often when they start hitting more shots but their transition defense in this game was truly awful a lot of the time it was the communication was not there and this is remember this is without steph curry this is without great shooters out there necessarily for the warriors and clay thompson really got off at times he only had 27 points on 22 shots but it seemed like he was hit some real 
couple backbreakers during that run he had one play where ad got switched onto him and i think the ball went into the post he pretended to run back door and then just ran right back to the corner again and ad just was totally exhausted couldn't even get out there gave up a wide open three you know ad was looking very tired out there he looked so spry against the blazers because he was able to not really guard someone you knew there was only a couple of people that were a problem he could get in the lane and help now he's got to switch on to guys and it looked like I, I couldn't even tell a lot of times what the pell strategy was i guess they were trying to switch everything and their communicate communication was just trash like i mean there were probably eight plays in the first half where they just gave up buckets because they blew a switch or, or just totally miscommunicated like there were plays you know clay comes off a screen both guys run to clay and then david west slips to the basket and he's wide open you know i mean there were, there were just so many of those so many plays where they just couldn't match up and transition i mean that that part of it is going to be a little bit better uh if they are going to keep switching everything you, they can do as the spurs did stop having so many communication mistakes but especially with steph curry coming back i, I think he, maybe it's possible that he will mess things up a little bit but he's such a threat off the ball as and as a shooter that you know he fits into what they're doing a lot more seamlessly than other ball dominant stars would he can still be helpful off the ball maybe he'll hurt the defense a little bit you know his defense kind of fell apart a little bit in 2016 after the trade uh, but the warriors go up 2-0 here probably curtains and i think the pels will play better you know i would expect this next game to be you know a 10 or 15 point warriors win rather than you know just a complete blowout be interesting to see if it's close whether stuff plays at the end whether they start him um but certainly this was great for kerr to not play him he didn't feel comfortable playing him with only one full scrimmage under his belt now he's got another two days to, to get some full contact practices and make sure he's not going to get any swelling in that knee and then we'll see uh, how steph curry looks I, i've missed him watching him play basketball it'll be fun to see him on uh tuesday night we could also see kerr and the coaching staff be very very limited with curry in game two especially if it looks like they don't need him because then it's all the way until friday for game three because they started the series early and what the nba does when they start a series early is they don't want to push it out of the following weekend so then you talked about they had two off days they're going to have another two off days with travel in there to get him right so maybe he plays even more in the like 15 minute range for game two and then more to a starter role or close to it in game three all right that'll do it for today anything you want to plug before we depart danny so my i I can't remember if i was able to plug all this stuff last time but my real gym radio with Derek bodner is out we focused on the sixers really enjoyed it talked a little bit about the series that we didn't know who they were facing at that point but the sixers kind of past present future going through all that off-season previews are starting to go in full bore for the athletic i have the super uplifting timberwolves and hornets ones in now (laughs) i have another i think three that are prepared i don't know what order they're coming out and it's it's an interesting challenge because the athletic is they're they're publishing all of them which is awesome and i'm super thankful for that but i I, dealing with the editors everywhere else so i'm not exactly sure when each one is going to come out basically what i'm doing is i'm going to try to have all of them written by the end of this month so just keep an eye on it if you subscribe to the athletic you can check out my author page i think there are even ways to get notifications when a piece comes out but i'll have a lot of that a lot there on all of these and then of course that's going to lead into what we do for dunked on and then the other thing i'll plug just because it's not out yet but we'll do it soon enough is the patreon mailbag because if people want to support the twitter mba show one of the great ways they can do that is with patreon and the subscriber only mailbag for the month of april will be done soon yeah programming note by the way with only one game tomorrow night we're actually going to take tomorrow off from dunked on and then we'll go i think just straight tuesday through friday nights uh, for the show and we'll start getting into our off-season previews as well but this that way with only one game on monday and tuesday or actually no there's two on tuesday so we'll be able to do three games uh, on tuesday night so we'll be back then but still going to 
going to continue to give you guys content and try to do as many of these games as fresh as we can uh but not get stuck in it in a situation where we don't have enough to talk about but that'll soon be the case with uh off-season previews as well so we'll talk to you again on tuesday night till then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.